Welcome Committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, that she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, we're reunited. Yes. And it feels so good. Oh, my gosh, Tom. That hug that we spent the last 20 minutes in just embracing, just, that was yeah, that was big. It was really warm, too. It was so nice. And and my goodness, it's sort of a, it's a good day for it. It's a little... It's, it's a little it's, brisk. Yeah, it's brisk today. If you're in the city of Chicago, I mean, we're recording this on Saturday, September 8th. Um, brisk day, 66 degrees. Personally, my favorite weather. Yeah. I really like the 50s and 60s. This is definitely one of my favorite temperatures. It's good movie watching weather. Mm-hmm. Keeps you indoors, maybe, you know, cozy up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Get get close to somebody that you care about. Tom, let's just real quick. Let me just touch you <sighs> real. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> okay. Here we go. Yeah. In other news, um, <laughs> um, we've got a lot of talk. We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, in the in the time between last episode and today, uh, so many things have happened. A lot of big movie news that I think a lot of people are gonna pay want to pay attention to. So this will be a little bit of our newsy recap sort of thing of an episode. Um, let's start off with um, the passing of a very big personality in Hollywood, uh, Burt Reynolds died this uh past week age 82 um he was famous for his roles in uh deliverance Smokey and the bandit and personally my favorite yeah. boogie nights love boogie nights um and we just wanted to take just a brief few moments to talk about the fact that um you know connor and i are on the younger end and a lot of people you know you read these articles are people who grew up watching burt reynolds and you know they saw deliverance in theaters they saw Smokey and the bandit and um hooper and all these other movies in theaters and he was really a big deal uh very popular on late night talk shows yeah. um that was i think that's really where a lot of people grew to love him was through his personality and he he was just a total known quantity on those and uh it was good for his image because it really it gave people an the sense that they knew Burt Reynolds. Right. And he he was the kind of interview that you just don't get anymore in terms of you get stars going on late night, they kind of just pimp their movie, everything's pre pre-planned, really nothing surprising. Burt was like the epitome of a style more so than just a star. Yeah, he was he was very much a man, the 70s man. If you were putting him in a movie, you weren't just putting in say like a Matthew McConaughey role, you were putting in the epitome of mask 70s masculinity. Totally. Totally. And I mean, he was I mean, as much as he was an actor, he was a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. Very much known for his uh Cosmo kind of cover shit not i don't know if it was a cover but it was like the full page spread where you couldn't nude. tell where the uh bearskin rug began ended and his Mustache luscious <laughs> his luscious jungle of chest hair began dude that hamburger meat i'm i'm fucking jealous yeah as we all should be but he was i really think he was an actor that um didn't get a lot of opportunities to, sh- to shine i think he had said in uh, a few interviews there were roles that he was offered that he uh wish he had taken um chief among them uh the role that jack nicholson eventually played in one flew over the cuckoo's nest really which netted jack nicholson the oscar obviously you know i'm glad jack nicholson had that role he absolutely did a fantastic job but i know that uh it would have been interesting to have bert in a serious role like that um if we want to talk about something like deliverance which a lot of people focus on because of the infamous uh, squeal like a pig scene, you know, right. the, the the rape scene. And uh, it gets that rap, you know, the the whole dueling banjo thing, you know, everybody kind of latches on to those almost cultural memes of a sense. Um, but really, go back and watch Deliverance. Him and John Voight are really doing something special there. And it's it's a little bit dated in a lot of the ways it does things, but sure. like it's Deliverance is a spectacular movie if you want to get a sense of what Burt Reynolds was capable of, especially in the prime of his career. Uh you do also have films like Smokey and the Bandit. 
Yeah. Cannonball Run. Like, a little bit more what he, what you might think of when you think of a Burt Reynolds movie. Bingo. The Longest Yard. This kind of like, this, as you said, like the epitome of 70s masculinity. Him and Clint Eastwood were like the dudes. Like they were the balls, man. They were the left and right ball. Yeah. And I mean, even we, there's cultural reference to him in other ways. Like I'd say uh, the character of Ron Burgundy in Anchorman that Will Ferrell crafted yeah. is very much a Burt Reynolds type, not just in like look, you know, with the chest hair and the and the mustache, <laughs> but like in his in his attitude towards things. Yeah. Um, he was very uh, confident, truly. And he was he was daring to do some uh, like I said with the Cosmo. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did Playgirl as well. He was yeah. very you know open with the whole male sexuality he thing. Was comfortable in his skin, yeah, very yeah. much so. And honestly, I I I don't think we can uh, cap it off with something greater than Boogie Nights. I no. absolutely love Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights. And th- that's something that I've been realizing lately. P. T. Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, is so good at just taking a char- taking an actor maybe known for a certain character or whatever, and just giving them the absolute best fucking role of their life. Totally. I mean, look, he did it with Burt. He did it with Tom Cruise and Magnolia. Some people really get up on Tom Cruise or Magnolia. I think he's great in Magnolia. Yeah. Um, I'm look, not a huge Mark Wahlberg fan. Back to Boogie Nights. Yeah. Perfect. The best role that Mark Wahlberg ever had. Probably. Yes. Hands hands down. I really I really do think so. And it sucks that it's, it's kind of funny because Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg went opposite ways on it. Because Burt, I think, didn't initially get what Boogie Nights was. Like, I, I think he did the movie because it was going to be his comeback. It was going to be... Um, you know, he's with a young director. It was playing to his strengths. It took place in the 70s. It was yeah. very sexy, which is Burt Reynolds. Um, but later on, I think Burt really came to appreciate what uh, P.T. Anderson got him to do in that movie and how much, how good he is in it. Like, Burt Reynolds is fantastic in uh, Boogie Nights. And then Mark Wahlberg, on the other hand, has, like, renounced Boogie Nights. Really? Yeah, he he said that he like he wouldn't have done it if he if he could go back he wouldn't do it despite the fact that it is hands down his one of his best performances if not his best performance totally. Um, so Bert, uh, thank you. A lot of fun movies um, with some really bright spots and just a big personality. Um, you know, it's people like Burt Reynolds don't come or, and I'm not trying to say that he didn't have a problematic uh, attitude towards women. No, absolutely um, did. But he, I think he was always pretty self-aware of it. Um, one of his greatest romances was with the fantastic Sally Field. And he said in later interviews that she was like the one who got away. You know, he really loved Sally Field. And he wished that he could have been a... I think he kind of alluded that he, he wished he could have been better for her. Because Sally Field is such a spectacular person. As far as I can tell, I've never met Sally Field. Right. But she's always been super well-respected. Everybody loves Sally Field. Um so I think he was at least he's like one of those guys who was just like, yep, I did some uh, I did some good things, did some bad, did more bad things. And um, I think he hopefully he got to make peace with it. And uh, I, th- I do think that that's a good note to maybe leave leave on with. We've obviously never met these people and we don't know the the things that they've done that are either really sure. good or really, you know, really abhorrent or reprehensible. But uh, at the end of the day, all you can really do with the relationship that Tom and I have with the with burt reynolds you know is just having seen him on screen and as fans we just respect his output and his uh the limited perspective that we have on him absolutely couldn't have said it better um so let's go from burt reynolds over to some other big hollywood news uh something that the new york times called the worst decision potentially the worst decision in uh oscar's history has been quickly reversed. Connor, why don't you give us a little bit of a lowdown here? Yeah, so we've talked about a little bit the uh, popular os- the popular film category that had been added into the upcoming Oscars at the behest of Disney-controlled broadcasting company ABC, which had bought the rights to broadcast the Oscars for the next, you know, 3,000 years. <laughs> um, and the, yeah, as Tom said on Thursday, that the decision had been reversed. I think that it's... Thank God, because it's essentially just a participation trophy for whoever spent the most money on a summer blockbuster. Right. That's what it felt like it was going to be. And it almost also felt like Disney just trying to squirrel their way into getting an Oscar every year, or at least getting one of their six Marvel movies or Star Wars movies into, 
you know, getting them to weasel their way into the Oscars, which is just <laughs> bullshit. Fucking lazy. It's fucking lazy. Um, and, and the worst thing is, is that it, by, by that existing, it implies that something like Black Panther could not contend for Best Picture. Um, I've always thought that Best Picture, we, you know, I don't know if we've talked about it on here before, but we all generally know the term Oscar bait. Um, the series, you know, the set of kind of preconditions that are guaranteed you at least an Oscar nod for Best Picture, um, you know, like especially like drama, you know, heavy dramas that like stick to a certain mold and really don't do anything adventurous, but like, you know, definitely play on one's emotions. They do. There's, there's a litany of things. I think everybody has their own. You could come up with a list of a thousand things that qualify for Oscar bait. Um, like I would, frankly, I would call something like Forrest Gump Oscar bait. Sure. It's an inspirational story fiction fiction about uh you know well i will say fiction is against its favor because i think true stories always pull better in the oscars it's like based on a true the true story of a man right Um, however forrest gump i guess is kind of an odd example right because the fiction allows this character to weasel his way into all of these different real these real real events right so it's um a inspirational story about a person that is uh, that has a handicap but isn't so handicapped that it's weird yeah uh which is stupid um <laughs> i think we could do better for the uh what was it disabled persons of america um and uh they pretty much hit all the beats of just like yeah you remember john lennon that happened you remember the march on washington that existed you remember that don't you remember vietnam remember nam you goddamn right you do yeah um CCR? so one of those things <laughs> ccr i think that's a whole different conversation about the overuse of ccr in vietnam movies but let's play devil's advocate here for just a quick second because we've God. both let our opinions known on it the and the popular oscar decision was sort of added it's kind of the headline maker for the greater initiative to sort of restructure the oscars right Right. let's talk about how long the oscars are it's like a four-hour broadcast exactly the last one was like a four-hour telecast boring too exactly so they were talking about paring it down giving away some of the oscars during commercial breaks trying to get it down to three hours and then sort of the cherry on top which was the popular oscar vote try to add another category that would get some more viewers Mm -hmm. you know interested in watching it with more quote-unquote popular films more populist films right and viewership for these for the oscars is the most popular award it's the biggest audience in any award show you know it's bigger than the emmys it's bigger than the grammys Mm -hmm. the vh1 awards it's bigger than all of those (laughs) by a lot but it's still they're still netting like 45.7 million viewers was the last yeah it's on a downward trend it's on a downward trend but so you can understand why they're wanting to do that sure but at the going back to our point there were people who spoke out against it like rob lowe said it's nothing short of the end of the movie business oh shut up rob lowe <laughs> come on go, man you're smarter than that go back to the west wing <laughs> i mean that's just hi- hyperbolic i think end of the movie business no but i thought it was a stupid decision because it it implies that um a best picture can't also be a popular picture right like and and granted popular very popular pictures have won in the past um and even actors in popular movies but it usually has to be because of a death or something like heath ledger while i still think probably gave the the supporting actor performance of that year or one right. of the you know the the nomination alone i think was totally warranted um but he definitely got the push cuz he died like i'm not trying to be cynical it's no. just kind of the truth because the dark knight um probably it was the only that was like the only major category it was nominated for was because heath ledger had passed away and, and d- despite giving a stellar performance right the um, academy doesn't like superhero movies no and they don't necessarily have to because a lot of them are pretty middle of the road sure not very not they don't push many boundaries but at the same time like like i said with the oscar bait you know there's you can spot an oscar movie from a mile away yeah like, absolutely i'm trying to think uh, like um the theory of everything 
which is a movie that I, I respect. I think there's no reason that we can't make a movie about, um, about Stephen Hawking. There's no reason that we can't do that. But do we, you know, does it have to be such a, uh, you know, cookie cutter movie, essentially? Do we, can't we, can't we actually cast a disabled person? Does it have to be Eddie Redmayne? Who right. is kind of like a little bit of a, a darling. And that's nothing against Eddie Redmayne himself. It's just, I would like to see, if you're going to do that movie, do it right. Um, I know there was a movie with Andrew Garfield called like breath or breathe or something like that it like it literally just came it it was just came and went it was him and claire foy from the crown um and those are the movies it was totally just boring it's just like oh look he's sick and he's gonna overcome it and i'm just like it is a great story but maybe you could tell it in a more interesting way right those are the kinds of movies that don't really stick around in the zeitgeist they come they show up they collect their awards and then they slowly fade behind the curtain Mm -hmm. to let films like boogie nights rain dude if only boogie nights could have won an oscar god damn it's such a good movie um (laughs) but yeah i think i'm glad that they got rid of it because it was so controversial well they i mean they've gotten their press out of it now so yeah any press is good press i suppose for the academy of motion picture arts and sciences hopefully that'll bump up the viewership yeah this, this year's you know we're only what eight months away yeah it's weird. We're getting to the end of the year of, uh, you know, we're going to start seeing like all the prestige pictures kind of start rolling out and see um, what we're feeling in terms of uh, what we're feeling in terms of awards. But nonetheless, uh, glad it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's pretty glad it's gone. Although I did. I, I think there's arguments to be made that it would be interesting, but there's other award shows that kind of cover the populist vote, quote unquote. Right. At, like the Emmys. The yeah. Emmys are kind of for that, I think. Well, the well, Emmy- Emmys are TV, right? Emmys are but- TV. But, like, I mean, you have stuff like the People's Choice Awards or, like, yeah. um, other stuff like that. There's there's other Or the awards. Golden Globes. That's what I meant to say. Golden Globes. Yeah. that's That one's put on by the Hollywood Foreign Press. Um, that one's always interesting. That's one where, like, The Martian can win best comedy, you know, <laughs> with Matt Damon Well, that's because they just didn't know what to qualify. I, I think it's... I mean, they put it in that category so it would have a chance of winning because it didn't really fall. I... I but like you know let the movie could have stood on its own it doesn't have to win an award to be good you know that's just that's just long and short of it and most movies that are really good never win any awards of that of that caliber they might win like some festival circuit stuff but how about let's let's say what maybe think up what a category they should add like how about some transparency how about most expensive movie of the year that actually be fucking hilarious are you kidding <laughs> yeah, me yeah that would be and awesome. it's just like and like it's like congratulations you spent a lot of money yeah. like <laughs> that that would be like the the pinnacle of uh cynical 2018 movie going yeah. it's just like <laughs> look how much fucking money we spent <laughs> quality what's that yeah because then transformers could finally win an oscar exactly <laughs> mark Wahlberg can finally stand up on that stage and crack a bud light yeah. and be like look you see this chug three of them all at once <laughs> oh my god i mean most you could have um least diverse movie yeah the, the Oscar shame awards, you know, <laughs> just have ones like the Oscars that you don't want to win. Exactly. Like, and, and have it just like behind the stage or something yeah. on well, a little soapbox. Most damaging to women. Have Ryan Seacrest hosted every year. Yeah. He's and, a dam- <laughs> and, mo- and most damaging film goes to long pause. Maybe that's when we do our Oscar bet this year. We'll have to have, we'll have to have a conversation about what was the most damaging. Yeah, uh, there we go. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I think that's a good idea. Have Oscars that you don't want to win. And then when you get nominated, you're just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the big movies that, uh, I think Connor and I are both excited about is the predator. Coming Shane up. Black. Shane Black. Uh, Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn. You've got Keegan-Michael Key. Yes. You've got that one dude from Logan. You've right. got Thomas Jane. You've uh-huh. got the kid from Room. A lot of upwards inflection here, folks. Yes. But uh, so we want to take a moment to take a look back at um, a film franchise that I think is largely misunderstood both by audiences and uh, filmmakers alike, even the people making the films themselves. Uh, Let's take a look back at the Predator series.
right, so I think we have to preface this with some news that came out this week that I find, um, frankly, sickening. I'm going to, I think that's the only way I can really put it. Right, so what happened? So 20th Century Fox announced that they had to cut a scene from the Predator, and uh, this is because director Shane Black, uh, writer of Lethal Weapon, director of such films as The Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Star in the original Predator. Mm-hmm. He cast his friend, who is a registered sex offender. They put an actual predator in the predator. Uh, and that's now, a terrible know- joke, but and it's now, true. Did he know about that ahead of time, or did, was it something that kind of slipped under his radar? He absolutely knew about it. This, When they say in the headline, this is coming from the LA Times, uh, when they say that Shane Black cast his friend, he cast his friend. Uh, this is actor Stephen Wilder Striegel. Um, 47 years old. He didn't have a huge role in the movie, but he had a quick three-page scene shared with actress Olivia Munn. Uh, It was revealed, and Munn, Olivia Munn, she learned that Striegel is a registered sex offender who pleaded guilty in 2010 after facing allegations that he attempted to lure a 14-year-old female into a sexual relationship via the internet. (sighs) And Shane Black knowingly cast him in in this film. And his response was not was it eloquent? I mean, did he I think re- eloquent would non-eloquent would probably be the best way to Did he I can apologize? No, he he said this. This is his quote. I personally chose to help a friend. I can understand others might disapprove as his conviction was on a sensitive charge and not to be taken lightly that's really that's very middle of the road and honestly it sort of sounds like he's like he's just trying to brush it off like it's not like the i understand that this isn't something to be taken lightly but i'm going to take it lightly because it's my friend right and it's it's pretty pathetic uh he said that he long believed that striegel was quote caught up in a bad situation versus something lecherous what is more lecherous than trying to lure a 14-year-old into a fucking sexual relationship? That's like the definition of lecherous. You kidding me? <laughs> well, I'm angry. I'm fired up. Well, hold on. It's easy to get fired up about this, and as you should, because it's a fucked up situation. But um, at the same... like. Let's just talk about how many actors there are working out there who I presume I presume there are actors that aren't, you know, registered sex offenders working yeah. in Hollywood that sure. would have been perfect for a three page like I assume just a three minute scene with Olivia Munn that could have Pretty held much. their own. Why why did it need to be this person and why Because he's buddies with Shane Black. Exactly. And Which that sucks bullshit. It's it sucks because I like Shane Black. I like his movies. Um I think I mean he's always had a bit of a problematic streak, but uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a fantastic neo noir. The Nice Guys was a total sleeper hit for me. Yeah, I was like, wow, I can't believe I didn't see this in theaters. I just happened to pick it up. Like I saw, I was like, oh, it's directed by Shane Black. It's like five dollars. I was like, I'll pick that up. I'll I'll watch it, and I really really enjoyed it. I like what he did, but um, this just shows a total, especially in a post Me Too world, this shows a total lack of awareness. Like read the room, man. Maybe. You know, you should have thought about it before you've been like, yeah, I'm going to. I mean, and it's not even a question. The guy is a registered sex offender. It's not like, oh, it's an ongoing case. Oh, you know, uh, there's whispers about it, which even then, even then, you should probably reel it back a little yeah. bit. This guy is a convicted, he's a registered sex offender, and you cast him in a role. And this three page scene is basically this dude, uh, Steven Wilder Striegel hitting on Olivia Munn for, for a three pager. That's what the scene was. Yeah. Jesus. And they, they pulled it. Well, so, good. You know, it's really got to make you wonder like what Shane black, what went through his mind when he, during that decision making, did you, know, you think I, that he was above it all? You know, and that's the there's a million. No, we know. Cause we have these quotes. I mean, he's not kidding. He said, he said it was a sensitive charge and not to be taken lightly. You clearly took it lightly enough to cast him in your movie where he's like being creepy towards a woman. You gave him a check, which he undoubtedly cashed. Yeah. So 
And I mean, just because you cut him from the movie, that guy still got paid to be in it. Exactly. Like that, that happened. So disappointing. Still going to see the Predator. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a fan of the franchise. It's not but. like a Victor Salvas case, you know, the guy who made Jeepers Creepers, who is himself a registered sex offender. Yeah. And still I, got distribution for his film. Yeah. I think it was just a really dumb decision. I think Shane Black's going to be waiting for a while before he actually gets work again. Yeah. And probably, probably rightfully so. Probably deserves it. Yeah. All right. But. Let's, let's talk go, about let's gush a little bit let's gush a little bit about the predator mm. um the predator franchise depending on how you want to look at it is either three or five movies long and i like the latter <laughs> more fan of the five movie i'm a fan of, of the, the predator. Fi- yes so uh it all kicks off in 1987 with the fantastic 80s action movie the predator directed by john mctiernan starring arnold schwarzenegger Shane Black. Carl Weathers. And I assume Je- other people that Jesse, I do not know. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse Ventura. Ventura. Another uh, Let's, you know, bona fide statesman in the U.S. Yeah. Two, two, this movie was so good that <laughs> it, uh, launched it launched two political, political careers. careers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's. when did you first see The Predator? I watched it with my dad when I was about 10 years old. My dad had wow. a penchant. My dad had a penchant for... Um, Showing me movies that he wanted to watch without really considering the effect that it would have on me. I was eight years old. I uh, walked into a room and uh, my dad was watching The Shining at uh-huh. one point and it was the Red Rum scene. And he was like, oh, Connor, come on, sit down. And me being a dutiful uh, son who loves his father sat down and was promptly scarred yeah. for life afterwards. Oh but then we watched The Predator and The Predator is a little bit more... Uh, you know, all you're really getting are skinned commandos hanging upside down in a jungle. That's not that bad. You know, it's really, it's, it's, what it's do you say? It's basically a kid's movie. It's Skittles in comparison. Skittles. <laughs> um, I think I first watched it, I, I didn't get to see it until high school. Like, I was aware of it, because um, I knew the Alien versus Predator movies had come out. Um, I don't. I didn't see them in theaters or anything like that, but... I first watched it in high school because my pal had it on VHS. Like he had found his parents old. He, he, we were in his room and he had like just a little TV and it had the built in VHS player and he had found like all these old VHS and one of them was predator. Nah. So we just like sat in his room and watched it. And we were like, this is fucking amazing. This yeah. is crazy. Um, it's really, I really think it's up there in terms of, 80s action movies it's very much uh, uh an epitome of the style especially coming from director john mctiernan who also the year after predator directs die hard yeah so this is like literally the action. next year yeah so 87 is predator 88 is die hard spectacular yeah what a, i mean two one two punch one, yeah exactly um this movie was really interesting because it brought together all these big muscly dudes it is it is very much a, <laughs> i love that it is very much a uh both a i don't know celebration and also satire in a sense yeah. of like that hyper 80s masculinity and satire unintentionally like you we we watched it's, it fairly recently oh, we great. were going through a lot of these movies um and in anticipation of the predator um you watch it and it setups it was so full of so many tropes and it gets referenced so easily and flawlessly that when you watch it's one of those things where it's like when you watch the original you're like this is like comical because you're you're seeing all the tropes at their pretty much their origin yeah absolutely and it's fucking hilarious. Let's just It's got such a stupid sense of humor. Yeah. It's great. And and that's the thing is you don't know if it is a sense of humor or not, or if the John McTiernan was just like, This is awesome. Yeah, this is rad, man. Let's get Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger to have a tableless arm wrestling fight. That moment might be like At, hands down one of the greatest in cinema. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frank honestly. Like And they, they just hold the shot. Yeah. Oh God. And they just start flexing and he's like, Yeah, God, that's so that's hilarious. Yeah. I think... Um, and let's talk about the pace of the movie. It's relentless. There isn't a dull moment in yeah, that movie. You do not... You, you're you just on, on a roller coaster. Um, one of the interesting things to me 
is that in the opening you get kind of that i call it the star wars shot where it's like just you know stars and space yeah sure and you catch the curvature of the earth and this big ship when we were watching like, it i was like no opening crawl no <laughs> <laughs> uh you get like the ship coming in and you get the title you know the predator and then like and it just lone fireball yeah but then it just leaves that behind yeah and it, and then suddenly it's like okay you're in the jungle south america and arnold's, you're with you're with a bunch of commandos arnold's chain smoking cigars yeah like a like and in real life too one of the things that's frequently talked about uh for the filming of that movie is that all those dudes in order to stay in shape they just kept up their regimen they'd run like like miles you know a certain number of miles in the morning shoot like a 14 hour day and then do all their their workouts and stuff at night to go to bed and then be up again for like five in the morning to do to start all over again shooting a full four, like 12 14 hour day all the while arnold is chain smoking cigars <laughs> and it's just like how how do you even do that these dudes are cut like it's it's terrifying how it's, in shape these these guys are except for shane black yeah who's just this squirrely little dude yeah and he's just there to tell terrible jokes pretty much up until he dies yeah spoiler alert so throughout the entirety of the movie or throughout most of the movie you get like little bits of the predator, but it still feels like this commando movie. And then it just kind of takes a left turn and becomes, the, you know, hunter be, hunters become the hunted. And it's really interesting. And all the set pieces are really great. Lots of big booms and everything like that. Uh, legendary spec- special effects uh, by Stan Winston, who um, worked on, you know, we, he worked on the thing. He worked eventually on Jurassic Park. Um, I would say, yeah, probably the most like in the zeitgeist for special effects directors or whatever the term is. Yeah, special, you know, he supervisors or whatever. Yeah, he definitely uh, is one of the most well known in the mainstream for sure. And it's (laughs) well, you you said to me off mic, it was like we have to mention this. Let's talk about the original Predator. Oh my god, dude! Oh god, you told you showed me this. I did. So Tom and I watched the Predator or Predator in 4K uh, a couple weeks ago at his place, and you were telling me all of these awesome behind the scenes little bits of trivia, which we'll share now. John Claude Van Damme was supposed to be the actor behind the Predator. Yeah. In the because he was kind of he was I don't know if he had gotten big in the U.S. No, yet. he was not quite yet the muscles from Brussels, right? But he was on his way. Yeah, this would have been like his first really big gig. So they dressed him up in the the original Predator outfit, which is bonkers. <laughs> the, it's just fucking hilarious. You need to look up if you are listening. You need to look up pictures of John Claude Van Damme because it's like. Imagine, like, the lower half of a flamingo with the top half of, like, the lobster from the Amanda Bynes show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like very crustacean. Yeah. And, and uh, the suit that they used when they shot, right? It was, like, pre-green screen or something. Yeah, it was, it was all orange so that they could do the camouflage effect. Like, and, the, the invisible, you know, sort of effect. And just looks insane. And there's Jean-Claude Van Damme just running around the jungle in this big orange suit. And he must have been so pissed off. Yeah. He, I mean, he eventually, uh, he left the project uh, and was, you know, the Predator was replaced by Kevin Peter Hall, who did both Predator 1 and 2. Um, and so they had to, with the, they saw the dailies f- with this suit. <laughs> And they were like, okay, we need to overhaul this shit. The rendering, it looks pretty cool. Like, they do do the rendering so it doesn't just look like an orange lobster suit. But they have some, they they do have, like, just the raw footage of the the orange lobster suit. And that is hilarious. And you have to watch it. But I guess what the studio basically said after seeing the dailies is it's just like, it looks like a Power Rangers villain. Yeah, they're just like, this is stupid. Like, we can't, we can't put this in the movie. Like, they just, even when they were to finish, if they were to finish that suit and have all the, like, scales and shit, it would just, it wasn't scary. There wasn't anything intimidating about it, really. It just looked like a terrible B-movie villain. So, as the legend goes, they stopped shooting for a while, and they were like, okay, you guys have some time. Please redesign this suit. So it go, they call upon Stan Winston to do it, and he's sitting on a plane and he's doing sketches and everything. He's like trying to figure out this new Predator design, and uh, this guy sitting next to him, he's just like, "Hey, man, you know what you should do?" He's like, "I've always wanted to do this for like a for like a creature. I want you to, I want you to put mandibles on it." 
Mandibles. Yeah, mandibles. Um, and he's just like, yeah, that'd be so cool. The four, like four pincers on, on his face. That'd be so fucking cool. And so he does. And It'll then make you... people shit with their mouths open. <laughs> it sounds like something that he would say. Yeah. And uh, it's, <laughs> I mean, you probably, I, it's I think literally something, it's literally something that he said. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, as, as the story goes, um, <laughs> that was James Cameron, James Cameron, because him and Stan Winston work on, worked on aliens and um, wait, he and Stanley or uh, and Stan Winston, Stan Winston, Stan Winston and Jim Cameron were, they like Stan Winston did uh, aliens. Oh really? That's yeah. So he, he uh, helped with the practical effects on that. And Jim Cameron was just like, dude, you got to put mandibles on that shit. It's going to, it's, <laughs> it's going to make people shit with their mouths. <laughs> that is literally what James Cameron <laughs> said about the avatar sequels. That's what he said. It's yeah. going to do to people, <laughs> which, you know, I guess I'll uh, go in with an come empty- out like 10 years ago. Now? Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be, I think he said 40, 40 sequels yeah. that he's going to release Rough over number. the next 10 years. <laughs> so I guess go to those movies with an empty stomach, but that's fucking incredible that James Cameron of James Cameron fame was the one that, that sat next to Stan Winston and, and helped that out. Yeah. And, um, and created what I would argue is like in the top 10, uh, most recognizable, and influential creature designs ever absolutely i mean you've you got hr geiger's alien you've got i'd say et is probably in that conversation in terms of sure. recognizable and like well like people see they, they see et and they're like yeah that's fucking et i know et the work that guillermo del toro's done with his films like pan's labyrinth yeah. in terms of just distinctive monster uh, absolutely creatures yeah so uh as you said, Predator is a nonstop thrill ride. It is the epitome of the '80s movie, it, uh, the '80s action movie, and I think uh, still bears influence on a lot of stuff today. Um, I think a lot of people incorrectly go into it thinking it's going to be a horror. It's really not. It's, exactly, it's action. It's big. It's loud. There are horror elements exactly because they're being hunted, but they never really commit to it. No. It's 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 a good blend. It's yes. got it's got the tense moments where you're just like, oh man, the predator's watching them, but it never at any point is something like Alien, right? Which, despite the fact that those two franchises would eventually be uh, mixed together, um, they really have just two totally different worlds. And that's what I think is really cool about the predator about Predator is that if you want to watch a sci-fi movie that has a good amount of action in it and everything, but you don't want it to get too cerebral, like if you want to watch a movie with your parents or something, put on Predator. Or you want to watch a movie with somebody who maybe isn't super into like a cerebral sci-fi like Blade Runner or yeah. Alien. Put on Predator. They're gonna. There's they're no gonna better shit choice. Their pants. It's so yes. Good. Um. Let's quickly get to some of the sequels, though, because a lot of people... So you have Predator, which is still, hands down, the high watermark of the series. Still, yes. Um, you wow. get Predator 2 in 1990, and it's it's a totally... It's it's not vastly different, but they essentially take, they take Predator and transplant it to the city. Yeah, from which the I, jungle... To the concrete jungle. Bingo. And I think that's really the best the best idea they could have had. They're just like, yeah, what if we took the Predator and put him in a large metropolitan area? And it takes place in the far-flung future of 1997. Brutal. Yeah, during a heat wave in L.A. Um, stars Danny Glover, Bill Paxton. Uh, and, of course, the amazing Gary Busey. <laughs> it is, I think, a movie that um, doubles down on its concept. It is... I would say it's way more ridiculous than yes. Predator, which is really saying something. Yeah. But I think it really, it started to earn itself uh, status as a cult hit and really B-movie status because it does do a lot of cool stuff. There are a lot of cool kills. Um, I think Bill Paxton is hilarious in it as this like jive talking, like, you know, he's just like this really like slick dude from Texas or something that comes to LA and he's like, he's like Billy the fucking kid and him and Danny Glover have almost this lethal weapon esque back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Danny Glover, I think is really good in it. I think he was a great choice, especially because he was riding high after the, you know, on the lethal weapon series. Probably literally. Yeah. um and it's just uh they kind of like expand the mythos a little bit while still being completely insane it all it it all centers like there's this whole gang war going on like 
1997 uh, L.A., which is the future also. Yeah. And which it, is the future also even. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it really is a lot of fun to watch, I think. If you just if you just get past it, like people watch Predator for the fun. It's fun. It's yeah. ridiculous. This is if you think you're going into anything other than like a just like a creature feature, then you've totally missed the point. People hold Predator in really high regard. And, like, you get people who write think pieces about how, like, Predator is, like, oh, God, this is, like, so good. It's so perfect movie making. So thoughtful. For for its genre, it is. Yes. And Predator 2 is not, like, it doesn't have as many memorable lines. It doesn't have as many uh, moments that feel so perfect. The directing is not quite there. If nothing else, it's a good sequel. Yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting. It tries to do things a little bit different while still holding over uh, the essential parts of the first Predator, but it didn't really do nearly what as well as uh, 20th Century Fox would have hoped. And they pretty much shelved they shelved it for, for until for until twenty uh, years. Twenty years. It sat dormant <laughs> until the future. Two thousand thirteen. I think it was thirteen years. Thirteen fourteen years. When until, was the second one released? 1990 oh 1990 and so then, and then 2004 was alien versus predator oh right okay. a really interesting uh idea to quote-unquote horror franchises now it, it had basis in uh comic culture they had done, dark horse comics had done the alien versus predator uh comic book series yep uh there were video games alien versus predator so it wasn't like out of nowhere but in the execution let's just say it's much more Predator than Alien in terms of atmosphere yeah. and execution of the film. It's not really horror. It's not horror at all, I'd say. It's much more Predator, which is interesting because you said, you brought this up, which I thought was a really interesting point, is that if you want to look at it as a continuous universe, Alien, the Predator doesn't exist in the Alien universe, but AVP does exist in the Predator universe, right. right? Yeah, Predators do not exist in the Alien universe, but Aliens exist in the Predator universe. And I think that that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally want to subscribe to that idea. Yeah. And, and I will. And because those movies are definitely more ridiculous, like the Alien films were always a little bit more prestige yeah. in a sense, because they were dealing, dealing with the weight of Ridley Scott's original Alien, which is a... It is not like a big budget thing. It's like it's like art. Yeah. And I, and Predator the Predator films in their own way are art as all films are are in their own way art, but um has always been more of the B movie aesthetic. Especially with the recent, you know, Alien Revival with Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Those are much more like, you know, uh action blockbuster i i mean i wouldn't yeah but still they have that seriousness around them the predator movies are not serious in any way shape or form no not at all they're both special but in very different ways very different ways uh we'll skip past avp requiem because jesus christ we have covered that extensively covered that in past like, episodes like a year ago yeah. <laughs> i think it was pretty early on uh we covered that uh predators Yes. Directed by Nimrod Antal, Mm -hmm. but produced by Robert Rodriguez. Kind of does the whole most dangerous game thing. I mean, you know, which is really all of them is the whole most dangerous game uh, concept. It kind of reverses. It's not people on their their comfortable turf where the predator is in a new environment. It's sort of reversing that, right? Yeah. So basically you get a a set of criminals and ne'er do wells. Uh, I mean, really warriors is really what I would describe them as. They're all like military. They're like mercenaries. Yeah. For various from various conflicts across the globe. They get brought to this like game reserve on the uh, predator home planet and um, things ensue as as a predator movie does. Um, The cast is great. (laughs) The cast is maybe as good as I, I haven't seen a maybe a better cast since the second Predator. Yeah, Adrian. I mean, Adrian Brody was a really weird choice. Yeah, you've got Adrian Brody, Topher Grace, Topher Grace, Lawrence Fishburne, fuck yeah. in a surprise cameo. Yeah. Uh, Danny Trejo, mm-hmm. um, Mahershala Ali, yes, Oscar winner uh, Mahershala Ali is in Predators. In yeah, he's in Predators. He's like from you know some stereotypical. Um, backstory yeah stereotypical like african conflict i'm sure he wasn't like psyched about it but whatever he's a working actor he's got to do what he's got to do and now he's an oscar winner so who the fuck cares Yeah, exactly um so i think predators is the one that really 
I did not find nearly as fun. It no. skewed too serious. Even though there are ridiculous moments, it definitely skews a little bit too they intense. Dub- they doubled down too much on the sci-fi concept, I think. Yeah, which is fine, but the Predator movies work when it's the alien, you know, it's the Predator coming to Earth. Yeah. And they have to have a sense of humor about themselves because they are such ridiculous movies. It's it's a totally like I said, it's a creature feature, it's a B movie. This is here to be fun. And hopefully you get some really well-directed stuff along the way in terms of action scenes and kills and everything like that. You don't go and watch the Halloween sequels because the story is so fucking good. No. Even the original Halloween, it's a slasher, but it's really good. It's just a really well-made slasher. Right. You know, this is genre film. So Predators um, does a decent job. I think it tried to get people... You know, it it was trying to ride the wave of a renewed interest in genre film because of the superhero boom, uh, which really, if you ask me, starts truly in 2008 with Iron Man. Right. And then over the next couple of years, people get really more interested in being it, it was really trying to bring back, you know, be part of the whole uh, geek culture of the, um, you know, say so it came out in 2010, but it was trying to ride that wave the of late like, aughts. yeah, of the late aughts nerd thing like yeah. nerd culture was cool again it was cool to be into sci-fi it was cool to be into this and maybe that's just my perception of it because we were growing up during that time no but it definitely seems like that right and i and looking back on it i think that the bones of the predators were good i think that the characters were interesting and everything but like you said it just got too self-serious with the relationships of the characters that you just ultimately don't give a shit about. Yeah. Right? Because that's that's Didn't, kind of what you... They weren't you, even likable. No, none of them were. Lawrence Vishburne was cool because his whole thing was that he had been stuck on the planet for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Brody being like <laughs> doing his best uh, Christian Bale as Batman impersonation with his voice. <laughs> I was in the penis. Where is she? <laughs> Where is Predator? Where is the goddamn Predator? <laughs> Where is the ship? But it was it was a decent decent shot. Uh, surprisingly <laughs> great performance from Topher fucking Grace. Yes, that's my favorite part of the movie. It's so funny to see it. Like when I saw him, and I had no idea he was in it uh, when I saw it in theaters, and I was just like, "Wait, what is that? Is that Foreman? Yeah, Foreman." Like, it's. I just watched Spider Man three, and he kind of does like a little Eddie Brock ishness. You know, when Eddie Brock starts losing his mind, that's yeah. kind of the Topher Grace that you see in Predators. Um, and it's funny that you say that Adrian Brody's kind of doing his Christian Bale because I kind of got a little Heath Ledger out of Topher Grace, particularly at the end of yeah, Predators. Yeah, trying to be like psycho and yeah. like strange and shit like that. Um, if you haven't seen Predators, I mean, spoiler alert, but honestly, it's like not that. I think it's a pretty good twist, but it's kind of a you know, it's it's not going to change your how you feel about the movie. I don't think. Um, cause the whole movie he's, he's paired up with all these killers, but he's like this nerdy doctor mm-hmm. and he's just totally out of place, Yeah, which I mean, it's a dog whistle at the beginning of the movie. They're like, Oh, what's the deal with this dude? Yeah. And granted the movie does kind of make you forget about it for a little while, which makes it a decent twist. Exactly. But it comes, it comes out that, uh, Topher Grace is a serial killer doctor. Yeah. He was the worst of them all the entire time. Yes. He was the true predator, the sneakiest. Yeah. Um, and it pretty much goes about the movie goes along as you might expect for a predator movie. Um, I, I'd say a decent five out of 10. It can be entertaining if you're if you if you're into it if you're like if you're coming off of watching the previous two you might be still riding that high of being like yeah I just love watching this shit go down but it do, it it really hits too many of the same beats to be to feel original especially after Predator two um kind of did that in a sense but like literally you have one of the characters who is uh he's kind of like a he's a yakuza. And they basically redo the scene from Predator with um, the Billy? Native American, yeah, with Billy, the Native American character, where he has like a sword fight. Um, I mean, except this time you actually see him fight the I was Predator. Just, yeah, they show it. Yeah, but Predator's probably the weakest, apart from the AVP films. <laughs> okay, so here's a question that I wanted to ask you uh, quickly before we wrap it up. Mm-hmm. We'll call it AVPVPs. Which is better, AVP or Predators? Which would you prefer to watch? Because they're both pretty middling, I think. I'd take Predators. Really? 
Yeah, because, I mean, I like, I honestly don't mind AVP, but it's just so, it's so not uninteresting, not only, like, plot and, I mean, it has some interesting characters. Shout out to AVP for having uh, a black woman as a lead. Yeah. You know, you have to give it up for that, in a sense, but, like, it's very boring most of the time, and even the action sequences it was directed by uh paul ws anderson who Mm -hmm. was famous for doing the resident (laughs) evil films which even i have a little bit of an affinity for because they're so stupid but um there even the action scenes were just like completely uninteresting at least in predators there's a there's still some of that flavor still some of that like original predator flavor i think having robert rodriguez on board was a boon for the movie but also um, surprising because there's not much humor in it you know no it's it's very humorless in a lot of ways it takes itself so seriously comparatively to the rest of the series i would have liked to have seen robert rodriguez direct it but also i kind of don't like him he's of a he's of a certain ilk i, I like yeah. some of his movies i don't like other ones i feel like having that from dusk till dawn energy might have been more of a uh help for it yeah that would have been cool because even i would say predator and predator 2 have a little bit of that crazy from dust till dawn energy where things just take a left turn yeah exactly like it starts out one type of movie and then it just takes a left turn and uh from dust till dawn i think is still a great version of that type of movie the genre action pick absolutely um and so maybe i could have i could have done with getting beaten over the head a little bit more by campiness which is what sure. robert rodriguez i feel like he always delivers Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Co Cinema. I know it was a very talky one, but you know, lots there was lots to talk about. Uh, I assure you, we're going to have lots of great interviews coming up. Um, new stuff. I mean, we've got film festivals coming up. You'll probably see some coverage from Middle Coast. Uh, you'll see some stuff from the Asian Pop Up Cinema. Hopefully, um, conversations with our good friends David Holcomb and Michael Smith. Yes, they've both got new projects coming out that we are both very excited about. Um, Please, you know, head on over to Apple, you know, wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, find the show, give us a rating, um, leave your comments, let us know how you think we're doing. Um, if you enjoy the show, it really helps us get our, get the uh, show out there. We really appreciate it. We love you guys so much for sticking with us, uh, for over well over a year now. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this. So, uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all no coast cinema on there. And uh, we will see you all next week. This has been No Coast Cinema on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, again, we'll see you all next week.